You are listening to audio from Hyde Park Baptist Church. If you would like to learn more about our ministry, please visit hydepark.church. Turn to Revelation 21. So, there have probably been times that you have been to some pretty beautiful places. I can think back to one of the most beautiful places I've ever been. Uh, my wife and I, back in 1998 when we were married, had the opportunity to go to Hawaii for our honeymoon. Um, we, we've been trying to go back ever since, and financially it just hasn't been possible, but we were able to spend uh, six days uh, on the islands and... Um, we got to go to Kauai first, which is the Garden Isle, and we got to do some hiking. And uh, it was all along the coastline of that island, and uh, I saw things there that, that to this day I can still see in my mind's eye some of those beautiful beaches and coastline that I've ever seen. And maybe for you that's a beach. Maybe it's uh, the Rocky Mountains, maybe the Grand Canyon, uh, maybe some forest or garden that you went to. Maybe, maybe it was a large city. You went to a large city and you were just overwhelmed with the beauty and, and the majesty of that city. And all the sights and all the sounds and all the smells and all the, uh, all the things that you were immersed in, maybe as a Christ follower, maybe there was a moment in time you kind of thought, wow, this is, this is almost heavenly. I mean, the food, the, the people, the, the things that you were experiencing, you, you maybe just kind of set back for a moment. But this is... This is it's kind of this little glimpse of heaven here. But, but then at the same time, uh, there's this overwhelming sense that something's, even, even with all the beauty and the experience, there's still something not exactly right. For me, uh, in Hawaii, one of the things that I noticed was homelessness. That, that in the, the great beauty of what we saw there, that, that inside the cities was rampant homelessness. Maybe, maybe in that Grand Canyon you saw and could smell the death of animals and maybe carcasses that were laying around, or maybe the heat or the exhaustion, or maybe you got sick while you were on vacation. You see, it seems like no matter where we go and no matter how beautiful it is, there's always this looming, well, reminder that the curse is alive and well. We, we talked about that a few weeks ago, that that death is the result of sin and disobedience, specifically by our great, 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 many times removed parents, Adam and Eve, and the world was then placed under a curse. We, as human beings, experience that curse, not only experience it, but we're, we're born under that curse. But it doesn't matter how beautiful, it doesn't matter how great the landscape, no matter how wonderful the experience is, it seems like there's always that black cloud that's kind of hanging over things. I mean, even if you had the greatest vacation ever, that vacation had to end at some point. You, you kind of had to go back to work and go back to reality, and at the very least, it came to an end. And maybe at times on those vacations you thought, well, you know, I could just stay here the rest of my life. You know, I, I, could, just, I could just stay right here perpetually on this vacation in this beautiful place, but yet you know it's not possible most of the time. 
And, and what's even in, more interesting is, is for people who live in those places, for, for people who live in the, in the Rocky Mountains, for people who live in places like Colorado that is beautiful, places, places like Hawaii where people live there, they live their day in, day out life. They don't even pay attention to what's around them. And, and you can say to them, wow, you, you live in the most beautiful place. And they're like, well, yeah. You just kind of get used to it. Well, what I'm going to share with you today is so deep and so profound and so overwhelming from, from, a, from a mental aspect to, to wrap our arms around what we see in Revelation 21 is going to take some imagination. It's going to take... Uh, it's going to t- take quite a bit of imagination in our minds out to, to be able to wrap around. And even then, even then it's difficult. Because our experience in life has been so much under this curse. And so much of what our life has been about has been a struggle. That it's hard to imagine what God is revealing to us here in Revelation 21. And, and what causes this chapter to be even more difficult and quite frankly, all of the book of Revelation, is we have to understand kind of the, the grand scheme of what God is doing here. Because if I, just, if I just drop into Revelation 21 and we just kind of walk through this, this chapter like we normally do, if, if I don't give you some context to this, it's not going to make any sense at all. Last week, I said some things that really prompted a lot of questions from this congregation, which is a great thing. And if you're watching online this morning or you're here in the building, if I say some things today that prompt some questions, I want you to reach out to me, Jeff at Hypark.church. That's my email. You can call me. But I said some things last week that, that generated several questions. I love it when that happens. And last week I said something that was provocative. And what I said was is that when we die, now we've, up to this point, here's some things that we've kind of wrapped our arms around. First of all, death is a result of the fall. Okay. And we're all going to face it. Now, there, there is that chance that, that Jesus may come back and wrap things up. We're going to talk about that in just a few minutes. But the reality is, is we're all going to face death, and that's the result of the fall. We, we also talked about that, that you, the real you, what makes you you, is going to live forever. That's part of God's image in you. That this body that you have, it's, it's going to go back to the ground. It's going to decay and rot and go back to the earth. But that soul spirit that's in you, it's going to live forever. And then last week we talked about how that, that when a, a believer, a follower of Jesus dies, the, the Paul says that to be dead means that our soul spirit has departed from our body and that that soul spirit is somewhere. And last week we talked about that place called heaven, the throne room of God. And then I said last week that That throne room of God is not our final destination. It's not. Now, oftentimes when we talk about heaven, we talk about heaven in the the idea that that it's the eternal state, it's the final destination. And and in one sense, that's true. But in another sense, it's not actually. It's one stop along the journey to this beautiful, well, beautiful city that we're going to talk about in Revelation 21. But before we can get there, before we can get there, I need to lay out kind of a, just a really rough, and, and trust me when I tell you, it's kind of a rough timeline. Because if I jump into 21, the first question you're going to have, well, well, where does this fit into, well, when's this going to happen? Is this going to happen like next? Is this the next thing to happen? And the fact is, God has a very, well, very stringent plan on how he's going to wrap things up. Now, I will tell you at the very beginning, 
among evangelicals, among people who, who believe the book, who believe that Jesus Christ is the only way of salvation, there are differences in, in how people lay out this timeline. But what you need to know is we all arrive from an evangelical perspective. We all arrive at the same place at the same time, although some people have a different uh, viewpoint and how it's laid out. And I, I'm fine with that. I'm good with that. But what I'm going to lay out for you this morning is, is what this church believes, what I believe historically, and I believe there's a lot of support scripturally for what I'm getting ready to lay out for you. So let's start with what the next event is on God's calendar. What is the next event on God's timeline to wrap up the world, to bring judgment, and then to bring that eternal state? Well, the next step is laid out for you in 1 Thessalonians 4. You don't have to turn over there. But it says there that there's going to be a time, a literal time, where there is going to be a trumpet that will blow. And the Bible says there through the hand of Paul that the dead in Christ are going to rise, and then those to which remain will be caught up. That word caught up is where we get the idea of rapture from. Now, the word rapture is not in the Bible, but the concept truly is. And, and it's going to be this miraculous, amazing event that when Jesus himself calls out those who are following him at that particular point in history, every single believer who had died up to that point and every single believer on the face of the earth, whether they be in China, Uganda, or in Iran, are going to come out of this earth and we're going to meet Jesus in the clouds and there shall we be. That's the next step. So you may be thinking, well, Pastor, you mean you, re you really think, literally, that there is going to be a time where people are going to leave the earth, and I will look at you with a straight face, with a confident face, with a face full of joy and peace in my heart. Yes, I do. And I try to get up every day thinking that, well, today could be that day, and I'm okay with that. Are you okay with that? Because for those who get left behind, let me tell you what happens next. So the next step, or the first step, is, is the taking out of the church. The next thing that's going to happen, we don't know exactly, but it's going to happen pretty soon after that. There's going to be a person who rises to power that we know to be the Antichrist. The Bible describes him as the son of perdition, the man of lawlessness. And this guy is going to have all the answers. I think you can begin to see right now in what's going on in our world that the world is looking for a world leader who simply just has all the answers. And this world leader is going to rise to power after I've already been taken out. And he's going, to have, he's going to have charisma. He's going to have power and influence. And the world, I'm talking about the world, is going to flock to him. And he's going to be so charismatic and he's going to be able to accomplish some things that no other leader has been able to accomplish. And the reason is, is because he is demonic. He is actually Satan incarnate. He is Satan with flesh on. And he is going to mislead the entire world. And the world is going to fall at his feet and, and he's going to institute some things. He's going to unify the world under his leadership. And this is going to also begin at the same time the church is taken out. At the same time the Antichrist rises to power. There is going to be a time of judgment upon this earth. And it's called the tribulation period. And I believe that it's going to be seven years. And during those seven years, this son of perdition, this man of lawlessness empowered by Satan, is going to rise up and he's going to bring together a one-world government unlike anything the world has ever seen. Far greater than the, the Babylonian empire. And what's amazing is, is that the Bible talks about this empire as though it's a revised Babylon. And we know that in history that Babylon was one of the most powerful nations to ever be upon this earth. 
And he's going to be over this new world government. And all the nations are going to align themselves with him. World power is going to increase. He's going to require people to take a mark in allegiance to him and worship to him. The Bible says in a hand or on the forehead. And those who choose not to do that will be slain on the spot. The world is going to deteriorate in a fast-paced fashion. And at the same time, God is going to be pouring out miraculous, incredible judgments upon this earth, much like what we saw God do with the nation of Egypt when he was setting his people free. In Revelation 18, you have an account there of what this new world government is going to look like, how, how much power it's going to have. And it talks about kings that are going to be aligned with this one world leader and it's going, to be, it's going to be an incredible time, unlike anything the world has ever seen. And unless you have this mark, unless you have allegiance to this kingdom and to its king, the Antichrist, you'll not be able to buy food or sell goods or anything. No medical care. You'll be on your own. And then in Revelation 18, it says that God is going to destroy that empire in a short period of time. It says in that chapter that in one hour, now, you may be thinking, how could a, a world power that grows to such influence be destroyed in one hour? Well, the God that I serve can speak the entire universe in six days. He can speak the words and planets are hung in space. So it's not a problem. It's not a problem at all. So he brings this entire kingdom to its knees. And then in chapter 19, there is rejoicing in heaven because those in heaven saw the pain and the, 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 the pressure that this where one government was putting, was killing those who were putting their faith in God. And there is rejoicing in heaven in Revelation 19. And then in Revelation 19, there is this, this image in heaven where the church, all those who've put their faith in Jesus all down through the ages, gather for what's called the marriage supper of the Lamb. And there's going to be a banquet table unlike anything you've ever seen. I'll be there. If you're a Jesus follower, you'll be there too. And we're going to sit down with, with, our, with our groom, Jesus. And we're going to enjoy a fellowship with him. But, but then, in, in Revelation 19, it says that, that then Jesus kind of, the, the, we move from the, the imagery of the marriage supper, and the next thing you know, Jesus is mounting a white horse. And the armies of heaven join with him, and they descend upon the earth. And this is the second coming. This is Jesus coming down to earth. You see in the rapture, Jesus doesn't come down to earth. He comes down in the clouds and calls us up to meet him. But in the second coming, he comes all the way down to earth, and he's riding a white horse, and he's ready for battle. It's going to be unlike his first coming, his first coming as a baby in Bethlehem, the second coming on a white horse. The Bible says that the armies of the world gather against him. And it says that by the words of his mouth, he slays all the enemies of the kingdom. The Bible describes it as a gruesome scene. It describes it as an angel calling together all these birds that eat rotting flesh to get ready to feast on the kings that has set themselves against the kingdom of God. And in a matter of moments, Jesus with his power and authority puts down all of those who reject him, who hate him. It says here at the end of chapter 19 that Jesus himself goes over and after he's destroyed these armies, he goes over and he grabs the Antichrist by the nap of the neck, this guy who's caused pain 
and damage and death and destruction, who has blasphemed the name of God, and Jesus grabs him, takes him over, and just drops him into the lake of fire. It's just a matter of moments. It's all over. In Revelation 20, Satan is going to be bound for a thousand years. One angel is going to come down and is going to bind Satan in the abyss for a thousand years. And Jesus is going to reign on the earth for a thousand years. And I believe it's going to be exactly a thousand years, just as the Bible says it is. Then after a thousand years, Satan is going to be released for a little while. He's going to go out. He's going to gather what people are left to go against God, to go against Christ. One last effort to lie and to destroy and to tear down. And eventually what's going to happen is Satan himself is going to be thrown into the lake of fire. But I want you to notice what happens in chapter 20. Because I want you to look at this because this is very, very important. So after Satan is thrown into the lake of fire in verse 10 of chapter 20, look at verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence the earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were open. And then another book was opened. This was the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades, we're going to talk about Hades next Sunday, what that is. Gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they have done. The death in Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. Look at verse 15. This is very important. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he also was thrown into the lake of fire. Every single person who had never put their faith in Jesus, who had been waiting in this place called Hades for a final judgment, the great white throne, are going to be brought before God's throne, and there will be no excuse. There will be no, nothing you can offer. There will be no good work you can put before God. You, you cannot say to God, hey, I was good. Hey, I did these things. Hey, I don't deserve this. Hey, I should have another chance. God is going to say, if your name is not written in the Lamb's book of life, meaning that you have put your faith in Jesus, and every one of those people who are standing before him in that moment do not have their faith in Jesus, never did, never believed in him. That's why their names are not written. God is going to throw every one of them into the lake of fire. So here's the thing that you really need to remember before we get into heaven. If you're not following Jesus, you're following Satan. There's only two possibilities here. There's either light or dark. There's either life or death. There is no middle ground here. So if you've not put your faith in Jesus, there's only one other option here, that you're still in darkness. And if you're in darkness, there is a king over that darkness, and you've got your faith in him. And let me tell you where he's going to end up. He's going to end up in the lake of fire, judged. Guess where every single person that follows him, guess where they're ended up? You're following him. If you're following him now, you're going to follow him later. And there will be no hope for reprieve. There will be no grace given because grace is being given right now. Grace is being extended to you right now. And the choice that you make about Jesus right now sets you on a course for all eternity. Now we're ready to talk about Revelation 21. With all of that, now we're ready to talk about chapter 21. Look at verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven... And the first earth have passed away. 
Now, this is what I was talking about last week. So we talked about how that in the Bible, when we see the word heaven used, it can be used in three different ways. In one, in one context, heaven is the sky. So when you look up at the, the sky, the blue sky, you, the Bible refers to that as heaven. And then there's another context in which it's used, that it's referring to the stars, the, the cosmos, out there in the blackness of space, that that's referred to also in heaven, depending on the context. But then there's a third one. And this is the very presence, the throne room of God, the very place where, where God dwells. And what it says here is there's going to be a new heaven. So what that tells us is, is that when we die as Christ followers in this life, we move from this life into the next, we move into that throne room of God, but at some point in the future, there's going to be a new heaven. And there's going to be a new earth. As a matter of fact, turn over to 2 Peter. I want you to see this. 2 Peter. Maybe you've seen these verses before and, and you were like, how does, how does this work? How does this fit? Turn over to 2 Peter chapter 3. So Peter says something here that is, well, pretty incredible. He says that in that eternal state, that a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. Pretty incredible. I think what that really means is that we don't measure, we won't measure time there the way we do here. Matter of fact, time won't really exist the way that it does now. You won't live off of a watch. Matter of fact, what we're going to see in chapter 21 in that final state, there really is no more night time, which is incredible. But, but look at chapter 3, what, what uh, Peter says here. Pick it up at verse 8. He says, But do not overlook this one fact. Notice that one fact, beloved. That with, that with the Lord, one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness. slowness. But He is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. The, the Greek behind that actually means that the elements themselves are going to burn and melt. And he says, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Now hold your place. We'll be back to 2 Peter in just a minute. Go back to 21 in Revelation. So Peter reveals there that, that there's going to be a day when, when the earth as we know it is going to melt, that the, the elements are going to melt, that even the, even the stars and the sun and the moon and the, the, the planets as we know it, it's all going to change. It's all going to burn up. It's all going to shift, and, and there's going to be something that replaces it. John sees a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth have passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God, the tabernacle of God, is with man. And he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. And God himself, now notice this, and God Himself will be with them as their God. Did you get that? Let's, let's, let's pull the emergency brake up here just a moment. We need to slow down. We need to get the weight of that. Our existence on this earth has been such that we cannot be in the presence of God. We, we can't be there. And all through the Old Testament, you see different people wanting to see the face of God. We see the psalmist writing about that. We, we see David longing for it. Moses had an experience where he asked to be able to see God. And God wouldn't even let him see him completely. He kind of covers him up and just passes by, lets him see just a little of the backside of God. And it, it almost destroyed him. It, his face is glowing. He had to veil his face when he was in the presence of God, when he would come back down to the people. 
The only place in the Bible that we see this kind of description is all the way back in the Garden of Eden. All the way back there, before the fall, the Creator would walk with Adam and Eve. I don't know what that looked like. And it stretches my imagination to be able to even get my arms around it. I don't think I can. I've tried. But God Himself. Yes, God the Son's going to be there. Yes, the Holy Spirit's going to be there. But, but what this text is saying, what John is saying here, is that the Creator of the universe will be able to walk among us in that place. I would offer to you that that's what your heart longs for more than anything else. And you may not, you may not see it as that. You may not understand it as that. You, you may think that your heart is longing for more money. If I could just have more money, things will be okay. I could, if I could just have a vacation, everything will be okay. If I, could just have, if I could just have a better house, I'd be okay. If I just had more education, I'd be okay. And you're pursuing these things all through your life. But can I just tell you that what your heart really longs for more than anything else is to be made right with your Creator. That this, this bridge of sin that has divided you from God has already been bridged by Jesus Christ. And if that's what your heart is really longing for, and we, we pursue all kinds of things. We turn a lot of things into false gods, and we pursue them, and we, we think they're going to bring happiness and joy in our life, but they never really do. Even the greatest vacation you've ever been on still didn't bring you out from under that curse, did it? Because it was all waiting for you when you got back home to your office. It stacks of work you had to do. Some of you think, man, I'm just not going to take a vacation because I know what's going to be waiting for me when I get back. So I'm just not going on vacation. I'm just going to keep working. You see, none of that really deals with what your heart really longs for. But here, here we are walking with God in His dwelling place. We've got an entire Bible of brokenness, sin, and death. We have, in the opening chapters, Adam and Eve walking with God. We have the fall, and then from, those, from that place all the way up to right now, today, we have nothing but sin, death, sickness, cancer, adultery, broken marriages, broken lives. A whole long history of it. And over and over, generation after generation, people are longing for this. Listen to what else he says. Look at verse 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. That God loves you to such a degree that he, He's not going to command some angels to come around His people and say, love them and hug them and wipe their tears. That, that would be fine, right? I mean, I would be okay with that. That's good because I know there's no more death and no more mourning. But, but here it says that God himself is going to wipe the tears away. I don't know what that looks like. I, I can't even imagine what that's going to be like. What I can tell you is, is that John is seeing this and he's writing it down. Where there will be no more death, no more crying, no more pain anymore and Verse 5, it says, And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. I like new things, right? You, you like new things? You buy the new car, you spend all the money, you love that new car smell. Well, a year later, after your kids have been in that car, maybe it doesn't take a year, all of a sudden that new smell is gone. It's replaced with 
something that is not near as enjoyable. Maybe it's the Cheerios and the chicken nuggets under the seat or something, but something goes horribly bad really quickly there. Like new clothes, but they wear out. New shoes, but they wear out. God says he's going to make all things new. That includes a new earth, new heavens. Get this. At, the, at this point, we'll be able to look out into, the, out into the stars, and it's going to be different. We're not going to see a little dipper and a big dipper anymore. The whole cosmos is going to be changed, and God's going to be able to do that by his spoken word. And we, as God's people living in this place, in this time, with all the troubles we've got, can look at a chapter like 21, and I don't know about you, I get excited about that, and all the problems of this world just kind of seem to fade into the background. And that's why we're going through this series. Because I know you're troubled. I know you're bothered by some of the things you're seeing going on. And we get so focused on those things. And yes, there's things we need to engage in. There's things we need to bring the light of Christ and the light of His Word to. But let me tell you, as God's people, we're all from darkness and light. We live on a different plane. We live with a different mindset. And the more we understand about what's coming in the future, the more it helps us deal with what's going on today. I want to jump down. I want you to see this new city. Because it's this city, now he, he talks about this new city that he sees, this holy city. But I, I want you to see some of the descriptions of what he says about the city. And here's what I want, here's what I want us to get from this. I, I'm not going to be able to describe to you every one of these stones and everything that's going on here. And I, I don't think that's really the point we need to focus on this morning. What I want you to do is I want you to focus on the God who is behind this incredible, miraculous, beautiful thing that John is seeing. Listen to this. He says, then came... One of the seven angels who, this is verse 9, had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me saying, Come, and I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. Now this gets a little confusing because we just talked about the bride who just had a supper with the Lamb, and that's the church. And all through the New Testament, we see Paul use that analogy that the church, those who've been born again, are the bride of Christ. But here he uses it in a different context, talking about this holy city, this new Jerusalem. Verse 10, And he carried me away in the Spirit to a great high mountain. Now, John had to be taken to a great high mountain to be able to see what's about to happen. Because what's about to happen is so massive, so amazing on a scale of which we have nothing to compare it to, that the only way that John can even witness this is to be taken up on a high mountain. And he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like most rare jewels, like jasper and clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates, and the gates had 12 angels, and on the gates the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel was inscribed. Notice the detail that John is seeing here. This is not a fable. John's not making this up. He's recording what he's seeing with his own eyes that the Spirit has revealed to him. And he says it's got these gates, 12, three on all. There's four sides to this city, and there's three gates on each side. And the wall of the city, verse 14, had 12 foundations, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. And the city, get this, verse 16, the city lies four square. Its length, the same as its width, and we also find out its depth. In other words, what we're looking at here is a cube. And I want you to notice the detail here, that there is an angel with a measuring rod, and that angel has measured the city so that, so that John could document this for us sitting here 
thousand years, several thousand years later. So it's almost like I take out my measuring tape and I measure the width of the stage or I measure the width of those seats or I measure the, the dimensions of this building. Notice the detail here that, that this angel is giving a direct measurement to John to record so that you and I sitting here in 2021 could read this. And he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia. Its length and its width and its height are equal. So that's a cube. What 12,000 stadia? What does that mean? Is it like a couple of miles? A couple thousand feet? Get this. This cube is 1,380 miles. 1,380 miles wide, long, deep. That is like going from Maine all the way down to almost to Miami. That this city is almost 1,400 miles high? Now, it's at this point theologians begin to lose their mind, okay? So it's at this point theologians read this and they go, well, it can't possibly mean that. It's got to mean something else. It's gotta, it can't possibly be that big because, you know, Mount Everest the tallest mountain on earth is right at six miles high. We're talking about a city 1,400 miles high. So we have two options here. We can either say, oh, no, 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 it can't possibly mean that. It, it, surely it means this. Well, you got a problem here. This angel measured the city and told John, write this down. Or we could take the position that we take God's word just as it's written. We have a new earth. We have a new heaven. We have a God who can speak matter into existence. We have a, we have a God who can, who can speak and hang the sun in his place. So maybe we should take it as it's written that this city is going to be so incredibly amazing that we don't have anything to compare to it. So maybe what we ought to do is just take God at his word. Because I can tell you, if God is creating a city this great and this beautiful for all of us to be able to go in and out who are followers of Jesus, and he wants us to know about it now, don't you know, for a, don't you know that the reason he wants us to know this now is so that we find comfort in that? No, I'm not about to explain that away. Yeah, I don't understand it. I can imagine what a 1,400-mile high city is going to be. But boy, do I find great comfort in the reality that God has this whole thing laid out. And he communicated it to John so that I could read what John wrote. And in the worst of times, I can know that the world's not out of control, that God is in control. Listen to this. It says that, he also measured its wall 144 cubits. Now that's 607 feet. And that doesn't sound right, right? A 607 foot wall for a, for a city that's 1,400 miles high. I think it's referring to the thickness, not necessarily the height, because it really wouldn't make much sense, would it? I think that 144 cubits is talking about the actual thickness. It's 607 feet thick, the walls around this city. And then he starts talking about all the foundations and all these jewels. Some, some of these rocks we know about, some we don't. All I can tell you is it's going to be the most beautiful, beautiful, amazing city that you could ever possibly imagine. Jump down to verse 22. He says, and I saw no temple in the city. Because at this point, the Jewish people, people who've come from Judaism into Christianity, will begin to think, oh, New Jerusalem, oh, new temple, oh, sacrifices. No, we don't need any of that. We don't need a temple because God himself dwells 
with the people. There's no need of the sun or the moon to shine, for the glory of the God gives its light, and the Lamb its lamp. Its light will light to nations, and the nations will be able, verse 24, by its light the nations will walk, and the kings of this earth will bring their glory into it. That verse 24 tells us that on this new earth, there's going to be different groups of people living in nations. And they're going to be able to flow in and out of this city. Because the Bible says the gates will be open all the time. There'll never be a time where the gates are closed. In other words, there'll never be a time where there'll be a threat to this city. There'll never be another king that'll rise to power and try to knock Jesus and God off the throne. That forever, 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 there'll never, ever be another threat. That's all gone. The gates will be open. It says there, there will be no night. be perpetual day. The light of God, the light of the Lamb, Jesus Himself, will light the world, and there will be no more night. Verse 24, they, they, will bring, they will bring their glory and the honor of the nations into it. There will be this coming and going into this city of the nations who come to worship the King who's ruling with power and authority. Verse 27, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Go back to Second Peter. All right, so why is this important? Now, one thing that we could do here is we could get so caught up in this city that we get so caught up of what's going to be in heaven that, that we, we lose focus today. I think that we could get so focused on trying to figure all this out and trying to understand all these different stones and foundations that we lose sight of, of what we're to be about today. Look at what else Peter says here in 2 Peter chapter 3. Verse 11, it says, Since all these things are thus to be dissolved. In other words, Peter says, Understanding that the world is going to melt with a fervent heat. Understanding that the heavens are going to be destroyed. Understanding that all that has been known is going to be erased. And the reason that God is doing that is because he tells us very clearly through the hand of Paul in Romans 8 that the earth is under a curse. And that curse is going to be wiped out and the earth with it. He says, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, look at this. What sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? Peter says, with the reality that the earth is going to burn, that judgment's going to come, included in that is going to be a new heaven and a new earth. Peter says, what kind of people should we be? How, how should we be living our life? Now, Peter's letters, both of these letters, are written to people who are experiencing incredible persecution. So, so when Peter writes, he's writing to them to help them to be steadfast, to bear up under the incredible persecution that they were experiencing. He says, so what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the day coming of the day of God? Because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting, look at this, for a new heaven and a new earth, which we just talked about, in which righteousness dwells. So let's think a little bit about how shall we live today with the understanding that the earth is going to burn, it's going to be replaced with a new one, and this holy city is going to come down, that God is going to rule, Jesus is going to rule. How should we live today in response to that? Well, if you go back over to Revelation 22, you don't have to. You're going to find a phrase there. As John is writing and wrapping up that, that letter to us, he's told that 
that Jesus is going to come soon, that behold, Jesus is coming soon. Now, we living in this world, we can get our eyes on things, the trouble, the difficulties, the pain, all that's going on. You can get your focus on that and completely lose sight of the reality that Jesus could come back today. You can get so mired in the mess of this world that that your eyes come off of eternity. As a matter of fact, most people are not even thinking about eternity. People, people who've never put their faith in Jesus are not thinking about anything more than tomorrow, if they're even thinking about tomorrow. They're certainly not thinking about their death. That's the last thing they want to think about. But John is told in that last closing section of the book of Revelation, Behold, I come quickly. We are far closer to Jesus' coming today than we were when Revelation was written. Can we all agree to that? We are all much closer to a trumpet sounding today than we were when John wrote and when Paul wrote. And tomorrow, if he doesn't come today, we'll be one day closer. Should that not change how you live? And especially if you're not where you need to be with the Lord. Certainly, there's, there's a response that, that needs to happen from you, either putting your faith in Jesus or walking with Him, but, but certainly that, that de- demands a response. So behold, He's coming sooner than you think. Second thing you need to, to think about is those who follow Satan are going to join Him. If you're in darkness now, you have a king. Now, you may not be a Satanist in practice, and you may push back on the idea that, that if I'm in darkness, that I'm following. No, I'm not following Satan, man. I'm doing my own thing. Well, doing your own thing, living in pride and arrogance, living your life as though it's yours. Guess what that is? That's following Satan. That, that, is, that is what he does. If your life is all about you, if you think you're in control, that's exactly where Satan wants you to be. That's exactly the way he wants you to think. And if you continue to follow him, which means you continue to reject Jesus, then you're going to follow him. Which means your name is not written in the Lamb's Book of Life. That there is a book in heaven. My name is written there. My name is written in that book. Not because of me being a great person. Because if you know me, you know I'm not so great. I got all kinds of issues. Just talk to my wife. She'll tell you. It's not because I'm a good person. It's because I put my faith in an awesome person who resurrected from the dead. And he changed my life. I'm taken out of darkness into life, not because I'm a, a good person, not because I'm a pastor, not because I've, I've got this calling. That is not what gets me into the Lamb's Book of Life. What gets me in the Lamb's Book of Life is repentance, which means turning away from an old life and turning towards a new life. Turning away from an old, dying, dead king, Satan, and turning towards a living, resurrected Lord that I will spend eternity with. and putting my belief in Him, my faith in Him. So if you follow him now, you're going to join him later. Third, this is what your heart's been longing for. You were knitted together in your mother's womb with a desire. A desire that cannot be filled by a vacation. A desire that cannot be filled with a million dollars in the bank or a billion dollars in the bank. There's a hole in you that can't be filled with drugs or alcohol or pornography. There's a hole in you that can't be filled because of pursuing another relationship, you know, another boyfriend, another girlfriend. There's a hole in you that won't be satisfied when you, when you give birth to a child. As beautiful and as glorious as a touch of heaven that is, 
it still will not fill that hole. Fame, fortune, being an Instagram influencer, none of that will ever fill that hole. What you've been made for, what you've been longing for, that hole that's in you can only be filled by your Creator. And He's already made all the preparations. He's already given the gift. The gift just needs to be received. Fourth, going back to Second Peter here. Look at verse 14. He says, Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, waiting for what? Waiting for the next step on the, on the calendar, on God's calendar. What is that? Well, that trumpet. He says, since you're waiting for these, be diligent. He uses that term a couple times in his letters. Be diligent. Be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish. What is he saying? Christian, live your life for Christ. Live your life following him. Be formed into the image every single day of your life to grow up in spiritual maturity, in Christ's likeness, as Ephesians 4 tells us, to become Christ-like in the way we speak, the way we act, the way we interact with others. Are we doing that on Facebook right now, folks? Are we doing that on Instagram right now? Are we showing the love of Christ and the stuff we're posting on social media? You might want to take a little inventory there. I know you're angry. I know you're upset about various things. But be careful that you're diligent to be found by Him without spot or blemish. In other words, when the trumpet sounds, I want to be found serving Him. When the trumpet sounds, I want to be swept up in a moment where I know that I'm following Jesus closely. He says, be diligent. Notice what else he says, and we'll close. He says, be without spot or blemish and at peace. Verse 15, and count the patience of our Lord as salvation. Why is the Lord tarrying? You may be saying, well, man, people have been talking about this for, well, my whole life. Well, your whole life. If you've lived 80 years, that's a very short period of time in relation to what we're talking about here. So why is, why is Jesus not coming back today? Because of grace. Because of patience. He, he's giving the opportunity for more to respond. Maybe, maybe you're the one. Maybe you're the one that keeps rejecting the gospel, that Jesus is being patient, saying, come on. And he keeps drawing you. He keeps speaking to you. He keeps using people to tell you about Jesus. He says here, on the kind of patience of our Lord is salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given to him, as he does in all of his letters, when he speaks of these matters, there are some things in them that are hard to understand. Amen to that, Peter. <laughs> There's a whole lot of things in Paul's letters and John's letters and Peter's letters that are hard to understand. He says, which we are ignorant, and in which the ignorant are false teachers twist to their own destruction as they do in other scriptures. Verse 17, here it is. You therefore, beloved... Knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. Oh my goodness, folks, we have lawless people all around us. We have people all around us inundating us with social media and technology, and they are absolutely lawless. And they are trying to tell you how to live. They're trying to tell you what is important. They're trying to tell you where you can find peace and where you can find joy and where you can find true life. And they are liars to the core. And Peter says right here, if you start getting carried away by the error of lawless people, you will lose your own stability. Guess where we are, American church? 
You're putting your faith in people who are lawless, and guess what happens? The stability is eroded. And Peter says, remember something, this earth is going to burn with a fervent heat. That America is going to disappear. That all the nations are going to disappear. So if you're putting all of your hope and all of your faith in any of that, then you're going to live an unstable life because there are people who are lawless, who are liars. He says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And to Him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. So why do we talk about heaven? Because it should change how we live today. When you begin to get your viewpoint a little bigger than the temporary problems of this world, when you begin to get your focus on the eternal rather than the temporary, when you begin to get your attention on the God behind the eternal rather than the temporary false gods that are on this planet spewing all kinds of hatred and lawlessness, what you will find is peace and stability and life. The reality is, is that eternity is a long time. That Jesus is going to come back. And only those names written in the Lamb's Book of Life are going to make it to that place of bliss and peace and joy where you are with your Creator forevermore. Father in heaven, uh, it is with great, um, well, anxiety to teach a text like this. It, there's so much more that needs to be said. But Father, you, you can take this and do far more with it than I ever could. Your word doesn't return void. We know that. But Father, I, I hope that both online and here this morning that people will respond to the reality that, that you are in control. That there's a, if there's a lack of peace, a lack of stability, if there is anxiety, if there is depression, if there is pain, if there is exhaustion, if there is a person out there who's just about ready to give up on life itself, maybe it's because we've poured everything we've got into the temporary and it has failed to fill that big hole in our heart. Father, I believe it's time that, it, that they try something different. I believe it's time, Father, that they put their faith in you. Maybe for the first time, or maybe for the hundredth time. Father, beyond the walls of this place, those watching online, those here this morning, there's an opportunity to respond. I pray, pray, Father, that as the Holy Spirit deals with their heart and draws them to respond, that they would. No more excuses. No more, I'm too busy. No more that, well, I've got tomorrow. Well, tomorrow may never come. Now is the time of grace. Now is the time to respond. We love you. And we thank you. It's in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to this week's sermon. For more information about Hyde Park Baptist Church, please check out our website, hydepark.church, or on social media on Facebook and Instagram, at Hyde Park Baptist. 